I don't think we have anything else. Let me have you open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So, I need you to know that I really hate it when people start a sentence with, so, so, <laughs> I'm going to stop. If you've been with us for any amount of time, you know that we've been going through 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians is just a wealth of information for any Christian, for any person. And especially now in today's age uh, that people just tend to do what they want to do. They're doing whatever it is that they feel like doing. And that's the world. We can't hold the world to our standards. But what Paul did, he did something very unique that many churches don't do as of today. And it's called church discipline. And Paul was saying, okay, if you call yourself a Christian, then act like it. If you call yourself a believer in Jesus Christ, then act like it. And so he wrote them a letter. Actually, this is the second letter that he wrote. The first letter was lost. And so this letter here, the second time around, that he's writing to them, they held on to it. And he's telling them, these are some of the things that I keep hearing that's going on within your congregation. The, the factions, the suing, the fights, the immorality, uh, the, the drunkenness, the sexual immorality, the, the, the paganism, idol worship, all these things that were going on within the church. Now, granted, we don't expect the world to abide by those things, but when you're in the body of Christ, okay, that's a different story, especially if you're calling yourselves Christians. And so we've been going through this book for some time, and we just so happened to land in chapter 15 during this season, in this season of the resurrection, the celebration of our Lord and Savior being raised from the dead, because that's the message. Jesus Christ died, he was buried, and resurrected. That's the message. So the first, when we started uh, 15, three weeks ago, I said to you that the, the, the message, the message is the resurrection, or that the resurrection is the message. That's what Paul is trying to tell us in chapter, in chapter 15, verses 1 and on to verse 10. And he said, that, uh, he said that, now I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. And we, we took that apart. We said, what is that word that he preached to us? Well, he says to us in verse 3, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he's coming back again. And that he showed himself to all the disciples, to 500 people. So there's evidence of his resurrection. And so then last week we talked about, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection? In essence, Paul is saying, you can't be talking that you know, there is no resurrection. And people were spreading this rumor within themselves. Well, they died and that's it. Nobody wants to be resurrected and have the same body as before, so therefore there is no resurrection. And Paul is saying if there is no resurrection of the believer, then Jesus Christ didn't resurrect. And then we saw last week in verse 20 that says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So Paul, says, Paul is telling us that the crucifixion is the message. And if you don't have the crucifixion, then you don't have a message. So today I want to share with you on how you are the message. You are the message that needs to be proclaimed throughout your neighborhoods, throughout your families, especially in a time like today. Folks, the time is getting short, and I want us to be ready for that. Before I read the rest of uh, this portion of Scripture, let me lead us all in a word of prayer once again. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that you've given us and how it just stands out above anything else, anything that we've ever uh, read. There is nothing else like your word, Father, that gives us the nourishment that we need. Your word is, has stood the test of time. People have called and claimed that it's, uh, it's got inconsistencies, but people cannot find the inconsistencies, Lord. They just know that it's the truth, and every time truth is spoken, it does hurt. So we ask you, Father, to lead us this morning. Help us to, to know your word a little bit better, a little bit more, understand it, because we know that when we get right teaching from your word, it, it develops into right behavior. And so your teaching, Father, is what's going to help us during these troubled times, during the times that are come, and even during the good times. So, Lord, we thank you. I thank you for each one that is listening today, for those that are being impacted and are willing to change and are willing to follow according to your word. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And we all say amen, amen and amen. Once again, I'm reading out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20 through 34. And this is reading out of the English Standard Version. And it reads like this. But in fact... 
Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God, when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him, who put all these things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain, if humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus, if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. There's a portion there that just seems to be, what did he just say? It seems like he's talking in circles, but I'm going to try to break that down for you today to get the, the nut, the, the, the one thing, the grain, the, the most important part of how to apply this to our life. Beloved, I want you to know that you are the message. You are the one that people are looking to right now. You are the one that people are trying to follow the example. You are the message. And so I need to do certain things to be a, a good messenger. In order for me to have a good message, there are at least six things that I can pull out from this that each one of us have to do. And each one of us have to realize that we are living right now in the middle of this resurrection celebration season. The first resurrection, which was Jesus Christ, and the last resurrection, that is us, that when we are raised in God. Now, that is not the last resurrection, but that's the next resurrection in between this time. And I'll explain that to you here in just a little bit. But... What Paul is saying is that there is going to be another resurrection. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. This is why Jesus Christ said, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. There has been this tone, this idea, this thought throughout all history within the, the scriptures that those are going to be resurrected into eternal life and then those are going to be re resurrected to eternal damnation. This is just what the Bible has taught us. So we have to understand, okay, so we are a people of the resurrection. That's who Christians are. Christians are people of resurrections because if there is no resurrection, what Paul is trying to get across, then it's all for nothing. It's worthless then why are we even here? But the fact that you're listening in, the fact that you are here today, dispersed in different pockets here, the fact that you are reading God's word, you believe in the resurrection. And as I mentioned last week, what type of resurrection power are we living under? Are we living defeated lives? Are we living as if it doesn't matter? Or are we going to give a good message? So in order to have a good message, number one, the first thing I need to do is I need to remember my life without God. I need to go back and think about what my life was like before God. I need to look back and see what God had taken me from. And it's, in, it's important to know where you were. And it's sometimes difficult for people that don't seem to think that everything, that, that there was nothing wrong. People sometimes think, you know, I was okay. I was all right. There was nothing really going on in my life. I mean, I didn't drink. I didn't chew. I didn't hang out with women that do. I didn't uh, smoke pot. I didn't sling dope. I didn't call, you know, do all kinds of adulterous stuff. I was basically a pretty good guy. You know, and I live right now under the circumstances of everybody else. Things are happening to me, but, but other than that, I seem to be okay. I love people. I, I forgive people. I help people. So I'm okay. Now, I don't know if that's any of you. 
But I know that most of the people that I associated with are downright rotten scoundrels, right? Amen? Can I get an amen there? <laughs> That's where most of us are at. I know what I was saved from. I know what I've been delivered from. I know what Jesus Christ has saved me from. And I'll tell you one thing. If I was really having a whole lot of fun back then, I'd have stayed there. So, so there has to be a transformation in your life, a change in your life where you recognize where you were and what you are now in Christ. Now, you know, and I've heard this before many times, people give these testimonies of their life, and sometimes they turn out to be a bragamony. In other words, you know, I used to bomb, I used to steal, I used to take my grandma's car, and, you know, I used to go all up and down the street, and then I was 12. And then I started going into, you know, everything, and it goes on and on for about an hour, and then I met Jesus Christ, and praise God I'm saved, and we'll see you later. Okay. Let's focus on what Jesus Christ has done in your life. You don't have to really elaborate on all the things that have gone on in your life. You don't really have to be specific. You know, all I have to tell you about my life is that I was just, I was lost. I didn't Amen. care who I hurt. Amen. I didn't care who I burned. I burned my family. Amen. I burned my job. Amen. I burned people around me. I was only thinking of myself in everything and in anything. And then one day Jesus Christ showed up. And then I can just go from there. There is nothing more that needs to be said and done. You can relate with somebody that has, been, that has gone through the same thing that you have. Well, I remember I was there at one time exactly where you are. Like, for instance, the one time that I literally I, I, I took somebody's cash and money and, and really just messed them up because I thought it was my right. It was their bad. That's what they get. I was only thinking of myself. And that is all the story they need to hear. They don't have to hear the specifics. They don't have to hear on how what happened and anything else. And from there, you jump in. But you know, Jesus Christ is saving. I wish I knew who that person was so that I can give them back everything twofold. Because, you know, I, I was just a rotten, dirty scoundrel. And, and you have to know where you've been to have a good message. In order to remember, you have to remember your life. Paul says this, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for as by a man came death. I was under the sentence of death. Yeah. By a man came also the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now I am under the, the sentence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made. Now there's a distinction that we have to make here. The two alls are not equal. All of us are born into sin because of Adam, all of us. Now, when Paul is saying all have been made alive in Christ, you know that that just can't be everybody, the whole world. We're not preaching universalism, where everybody gets in just because they died. It's interesting. I've done a lot of funerals. I've been to a lot of places, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, and it always, it's inevitable. The person, regardless of what kind of person he was, the guy went to heaven. He's up there telling God what to do. He's riding his Harley up there all over the place. You know, and angels got to still keep up with him. Or, or he's painting God's house because he was a painter. Or, or whatever the case may be. Everybody goes to heaven. And there is this idea that we all get there. All you have to do is die. And folks, that's not what the Bible teaches. As a matter of fact, the, the, wide, the road is wide to destruction, but the road is narrow to everlasting life. And we know that not everybody makes it. But we are living under a delusion. We're being deluded thinking that everything is okay, that I'm all right. I have to know, you have to know, and you have to remember your life without Christ. As a matter of what was it called? What, what, what was it? What, what, did it? what did it do? How did it transpire? Because in Colossians chapter 2, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, it says this, And you who were dead in your trespasses... And the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Paul goes back and says, you were dead. You were going to hell. God was going to put you in total damnation for all eternity. But Jesus Christ, in Ephesians chapter 2, and this is in your outline, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And once again, in Ephesians chapter 2, remember, he says, 
remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Paul says, remember, go back. Oh, you used to be, you were dead. And again, yeah. in Revelation chapter 2, yeah. Paul says to the church in Ephesus, he says it, to, and it's just it's amazing that Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus and telling them, remember, at the time you were separated from Christ, now Jesus Christ is addressing the same church, and he says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the, the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. There's got to be genuine repentance, genuine sorrow within your heart, knowing that whatever it is that you did to offend a holy God, you are making it right. You're contrite. You're broken. And that old life no longer has a hold on you. It shouldn't. And so we have to remember the life that we were in, because if you're going to be the message for Jesus Christ, and you're going to be the one, you got to remember that you were dead in Adam. Jesus Christ is now there for those that have, Jesus Christ has died for those that have committed their life to him. And therefore, those, all of those are going to be alive in Christ. And I'll touch on that here just a little bit to give you a little bit more, a, a clear definition on that. Number two, in order to have a good message, I need to reflect the promise of God. I need to reflect the promise of God. In verse 23, he says, But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. What does that mean? What do you mean by Christ the first fruits? To us, it's foreign. To us, it doesn't make sense. What does the first fruits mean? Well, in, in Leviticus chapter 23, if you want to go back there with me, I mean, you can. But in Leviticus chapter 23, uh, God had initiated the festivals, feasts of the Lord, and he lays them all out. And he says, you know, this is the, the Sabbath. I want you to six days shall, you, shall work be done. But on the seventh day is the Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. And then he initiates in verse 4 of chapter 23 Leviticus that what's called the Passover. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. Now, I'm not going to get too much into detail on the Passover because we will be talking about that next week. But basically, the people of Israel were held captive in Egypt, and they were crying out to the Lord, and he says, okay, I'll make Pharaoh let you go. Ten plagues, the last plague, he says, I'm going to cause the angel of death to go over all the land and kill the firstborn of everyone that is in this land. You, however, get a one-year-old lamb, take the blood, sprinkle it on your door doorpost, and when the angel of death comes by, he will pass over your house, and you shall be saved, you and your family. And that's what was instituted as the Passover. Next week, we'll explain it a little bit more. And God says, you need to celebrate this. You, you need to, and the reason why he says to celebrate this, he says, because you need to remember. Remember when you were slaves, he would say to the Old Testament. Remember how I saved you. Remember how I brought you out of Egypt. Remember the mighty works of God. Over and over and over again, God is telling us to what? Why? I don't know, I forgot. <laughs> That's exactly why. Because we tend to forget. I mean, do we not realize that God's mighty hand has us in control right now? Do we not realize that if even if I were to contract this disease and this sickness and this illness, that God's mighty hand still has me in his control? Do, not, do we not realize that this is not the end? Do we not realize on the very miraculous things that God has done in our life? God says, remember when Jesus Christ was getting ready to go to the cross, he took that last supper, he took the bread, he took the cup, and he says, do this in what? In remembrance of me. We need an object lesson. We need a picture. We need that remembrance in our life, folks. You've got to remember, I need to reflect that promise of God. I need to reflect of what he did for me. Anyways, I got a little carried away there. The Feast of First Fruits is in verse 9. And basically what Moses said is God told Moses, okay, what you do when the barley feast comes up, here's what you need to do. And this happens on the first day of the week after the Sabbath of Passover. Okay? On the first day of the week after the Sabbath of Passover. Catch that. The priest comes and he takes, uh, the people come and they take 
this barley. It's the barley har harvest. And before it's all harvested, before anybody can sell it, before anybody can do anything with the harvest uh, or the barley, they bring a sheaf to the priest. And the priest goes and he waves it up for the Lord. And this is a wave offering. And he says, thank you, Father, for giving us this ability to be able to harvest this feast or this wheat, this barley for our food, for our consumption, for our animals. Thank you, Father, for blessing us with this abundance. The priest takes the the barley, and he takes the kernels out, and he roasts them on this pan that has holes in it so that all the kernels can get nice and toasted. And once they get nice and toasted, they blow it up like this, and the shaft gets blown away. They take it, and they pound it with these pure canes that are peeled, and, and, and they're, they're pure, and they're, they're fresh, and, and they pound it into this, this meal with oil, and they make a bread out of it. And I mean like a, a, a meal, not a meal of food, but they grind it into a flour. And what they do there is they, they take that and the flour and the bread that they bake with it and the sheaves and they wave it before the Lord and say, thank you, God. Thank you, Father. It is important, folks, that we offer God everything, the first fruits. In the New Testament, the first fruits takes on a whole different meaning. It means that those that are barely uh, saved or the new disciples, the first fruits of Stephen's house, the first fruits of my work and labor. But Paul is using the first fruits here as exactly as what happened to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ resurrected when? On the first day of the week. On the first day of the week when the priests were waving this, thank you, Lord, for this harvest. Jesus Christ had resurrected. And it is a symbol, it is a guarantee, it is a promise that the rest of the harvest that God is going to bless you, there is another harvest coming. What Paul is getting at, folks, is that there's a time coming when that harvest is going to happen. Now, I've been reading and looking at ways and how all these feasts, they relate to us as far as Christians. We know that Jesus Christ was, well, first of all, crucified on Passover. Very significant. There is an idea or a thought that Jesus Christ may have been born uh, around the first day of the year for the Jewish people. And that's generally in March. And, uh, and I forget the date now at that time. It's during this time. Uh, Pentecost had a very significant time. Fifty days after the first fruits are waved. Fifty days. Seven weeks. Seven sevens. And then the next day, the 50th day, they have another first fruits, but that's of wheat. And that's very significant. So you have all these significant events that are taking place in the life of Christ. And, and some people are thinking, you know, that means that if Jesus Christ resurrected on first fruits, then the next first fruits should be the resurrection of everyone else, of all of us. And that takes place, folks, my beloved, on the first Sunday of Passover of this year. Now, I'm, oh no, please, it, I'm not saying that the rapture is happening then. <laughs> I don't know. I am not making any kind of prediction like that. But there is a strong indication that that's when it's going to happen, whether it's this year, next year, 10 years from now, but it will take place probably during that time or maybe the next first fruits. Please, do not quote me on that Facebook page. Don't cut that out. Pastor said that this is when it's going to happen. Yeah, I know. Crazy pastor at North Park Church. All I'm saying is that there is a, a correlation between the feasts, the high holy feasts that God had initiated, that Jesus Christ is fulfilling as he's going through this. I need to reflect that promise. I need to reflect the promise that Jesus Christ is going to come back again. I, I need to live as if Jesus Christ is coming back. Amen? I need to not let anything cause me to, to stumble or fall. I need to get rid of all the sin in my life. I need to get rid of all that sin that so easily entangles me and run the race with perseverance. Run it until the day that Jesus Christ returns back again. You know, I, I know that many people are at home, and I, I thank you for being careful and taking care of yourself and your loved ones. My wife has to stay at home with my daughter. She's very susceptible of getting anything, so we're being very careful with her. I understand this. You, you know, but... She doesn't live in fear. She doesn't. I says, well, what happens if I bring home something while I'm out here doing ministry? You're doing ministry? Fine. But if you're out messing around, well, God's going to get you. <laughs> so, so anyways, uh, there, there, is, there is some things that we have to be careful of, folks. But it, during the ministry, let's do ministry. And, and you still have to be careful. This is what the, the physicians are doing, nurses are doing. Doctors are doing, they're all prepared. They have their goggles on, they have their masks on, they have their gloves on, because they don't want to have to spread this to somebody else. God may not be focusing and targeting you, but he might use you to spread that out. Now, if God's going to use you 
and target you. And if he's going to infect you, let it be with the gospel. Amen? Infect people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we need to be. So I need to reflect the promise of God. Reflect the fact that he's coming back. Amen? He's coming back. Say amen. And he's coming back. And, and when does that happen? Well, you know what? Today is a lot closer than it was yesterday. That's all I can tell you. Number three, I need to restore my position in God. Because he's coming back. I need to restore my position in God. You heal, you, you'll hear words, and you may have heard them already. We are living in unprecedented times. We are living in times like never before. These are times that we've never seen or ever been in. They make it such a die, and it, you know, for us it is. We've never seen this. It happened back in 1916, I think, with the Spanish flu. Can I say Spanish? Uh, anyways, it happened with the Spanish flu. It happened during the Black Plague. There's been a lot of plagues that have hit us, and every time we've come through it. But this, somehow, people are genuinely afraid. And, and I, I don't know why, but I want to share something with you, what Paul says here in verses 24 through 28. I think I only have 24 in your outline. I need to restore my position in God, number three. And it says this, then... After Paul is talking about, okay, he's the first fruits. Those of us that are left over, we're the ones to be uh, resurrected with him. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Those of us that are left behind, we'll meet him up in the air. And then he says this, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. Now, this gets a little bit confusing. Let me reread it once again, the rest of this verse. Because it does get a little bit confusing. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now, we know that Jesus Christ is coming back with his saints. First of all, we get raptured, caught up with seven years in, uh, in the time that the tribulation is happening here on the planet. Jesus Christ returns with those of us that have been resurrected and those that have been raptured with, with Jesus Christ. And we come back and he establishes his thousand-year reign. And that's when he establishes this reign. And then he goes on, For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he has accepted who put all things in subjection under him. Basically, what he's saying is, Paul says, all things are going to be put, uh, subjected under God's feet. Well, you know, but you got to understand that the one that's doing that subjecting is God, and the one that's brought it to fruition is Jesus. Jesus is not going to be put under subjection of God's feet. No, God and Jesus are one. Paul is using an analogy here, a picture of how it is that he can put it together, and somehow he's... I don't know exactly why he's thinking this, but he says, you know, i got to explain this, that Jesus Christ is not going to be subjected. And that's basically what he said there. And then he says, when all things are subjected to him, then the Son of himself will also be subjected to him, who put all things in subjection under him. In other words, that, that the, the three in one are going to rule together. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And, and though there's this, this hierarchy, it seems like, there is not, you know, dad, son, and then little brother as some people have tried to explain it. It's not like I'm the father, I'm the husband, and I'm the son. It's, it's not like that. This is three in one. And so basically what Paul did right here is he did this. He took Revelation, Matthew 24, Daniel, Ezekiel, and combined it all together in a little sentence saying, the end is coming and everything's going to be under God's feet. He's going to be in control. Jesus Christ is going to come back and take everything with him. And he's going to take control of all things. And all things are going to happen. And we are saying words like, this has never happened before. In Joel chapter 2, matter of fact, what he says there, let all the nations of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like blackness there is spread upon the mountains, a great and powerful people, like there has never been before. Joel says that. In Daniel chapter 12, he says, Verse 1, he says, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. Daniel is talking about a future event at that time. Anytime you see that word in the Bible, at that time, we're talking about the end times. Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, For then there will be a great tribulation, such as had not been from the beginning of the world until now and never will be. And in, Re in Revelation 16, And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was the earthquake. folks. 
You think this is something? You ain't seen nothing yet. This is not the end. This is not the tribulation times. This is not Matthew chapter 24. And just to remind you just a little bit about Matthew 24. That's in your outlines. Because in Matthew 24, when, when Jesus Christ is walking by the temple, and they ask him about the temple, and he says that this temple will be taken apart, and it won't be standing. And then, and then they ask him, so when are these things going to happen? When is all this going to take place? And he says, if you want to turn with me to Matthew 24, because it's a very interesting chapter, because, because it, it talks about the end times. And you have to remember this, folks. When you read Matthew 24, when you meet, read Matthew 24, you're talking about the end times. This is not the end times. Just to be clear, Matthew 24, Revelation chapter 6, the four horsemen of the apocalypse line up with Matthew 24, especially the first part, the part that we're going to read right now. Those two parts are synonymous. Many people really believe that that happens during the tribulation. Okay. Now, what I'm going to read to you right now, most scholars agree that this is happening during the tribulation. This is not what's happening now. I keep hearing people say, well, there's been rumors of wars and earthquakes, and we have earthquakes and there's wars all over the place, and now there's pestilence. You know, this has got to be the end times. Folks, you haven't seen anything yet. You haven't seen anything yet. Jesus says in verse 4, and Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. Some of your translations will say, see that no one deceives you. See that nobody is lying to you. There's going to be false prophets. There's going to be false apostles. There's going to be false Christs. There's going to be false people saying they have the answer. Only Jesus has the answer, folks. Only Jesus has the answer. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of war. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquake in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pangs. Jesus used a very clear picture of what is going to happen at the end. Now, I am not really too sure how birth pangs happen. I've seen them happen. But I've never experienced them myself. <laughs> I've been there when they've happened, and some of you ladies can probably, uh, you, you know, you, you know what that, that's like. You know, because it takes nine months to have a child, right? And, and so when that time starts, you don't start having pains at that time, do you? Not really. I mean, discomfort maybe, you know, maybe some discomfort or something, ladies. Help me out here, please. <laughs> I don't want to say something that I'm going to be scolded for later. You know, and so it's not very... It's not very painful. Discomforting, yes. I think we are in the discomforting stage right now. I think we are, we're understanding that something's happening. But those birth pangs, those birth pangs that Jesus Christ talks about, they are going to kaboom. One, and then kaboom. Another one, and then kaboom. Kaboom. And then kaboom. And I'm, I'm assuming they don't start off really fast, do they? Okay, that's, I don't think so. One hits, take me to the hospital, okay. Another one hits, okay, we're almost there. And then, you know, a few, about a few minutes later, and then after a while, it's just like, okay, it's time. It is so painful, and it hurts that this is about to end. I'm sorry? <laughs> Get it out. <laughs> Get this kid out of here. <laughs> this is, beloved, this is a very good picture of what's going to happen. This is a very good picture of what Jesus Christ is talking about. You see, when, when he talks about the, the, the seven the, the scrolls with seven seals, every seal is opened up and things happen. People are, are dying. People, people, things are going on. Earthquakes and things are happening, and they still do not repent. Some people do. This is very interesting. Many people don't know this, but during the seven-year tribulation, those that are left behind, they're going to be able to get saved. They're going to be able to get saved. And the way that they're going to be able to get saved is they have to literally give up their life. I've heard people tell me, say, you know what? Well, I'll just wait until then. I'll wait until that time that after everybody leaves and I'll know it's for serious, then I'll give up my life. I says, you want to die for Jesus? Yes. You're not even willing to live for Jesus now and you want to die for him. How does that even make sense? And people are just putting it aside and putting it aside. I'll I'll take care of it then. No, you need to take care of it now. Because then after the seven seals come the seven trumpets, and it starts to get a little bit harder. And after the seven trumpets come the seven bowls, and that's when it really starts to hurt. 
That's when the sun goes dark and pestilence are killing everybody. The water turns into blood. One third of the world dies. And, and you're talking about all kinds of stuff. And that's not even the end yet. And then the war. And then the war. Amen. Folk, I want you to know something. You have not seen anything yet. I need to restore my position in God and restore it and say, you know, God, I am a saved believer and I want to leave here the moment you sound that trumpet. There have been times that I've been saying this. People are looking for signs and I stopped looking for signs a long time ago. They're here. I'm waiting to hear the trumpet. Because at the last trumpet, the dead in Christ shall rise first and those of us who are left behind will be caught up with him in the air. And I got to restore that position. And I've got to stand in that position. And I got to reflect that promise. And I got to remember what Jesus Christ had saved me from in order to have a good message. Church, you have to have this message in your congregations, in your homes, in your places of meeting, in wherever you go. You need to have this message. See, because concerning those times, Jesus says, No one knows the hour, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. Matthew 24, 36, on the back of your outline. Number four, I need to resemble the life of Jesus. I need to resemble the life of Jesus. This is a very difficult passage to understand. And I'm telling you, I really struggled with it all week. I had to look all over the place. What does that mean? You know, I know, I know what it doesn't mean. Let me read it. Others, what do you mean? Otherwise, what do you mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Okay? I'm thinking, how, how, were people getting baptized on behalf of the dead? There is a group of people that have this strange thinking of baptism. Number one, the one thing I know it doesn't say. Number one, baptism can't save you. Amen? Only the blood of Jesus Christ. It is not by works, but by the grace of God. Baptism doesn't do anything for me but make me an obedient believer. Jesus said, get baptized. I said, okay, I'm doing it. Baptism does not save you, whether you were baptized as a child, whether you were baptized as an adult, or whether, wherever you were baptized. Number two, I know this, this for a fact. You don't have to be baptized to go to heaven. Take for example the thief on the cross. Jesus told him, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. All right, well, can I get baptized, Jesus, first? Uh, I don't think this is going to happen. You don't have to be baptized to make it into heaven. So I know that that's not what it's saying. Baptism cannot save you, and baptism is not going to get you into heaven. Only your obedience in Jesus Christ, your commitment to Christ, and what he has done for you. When God's grace shows up at your doorstep, when God's amazing grace, this irresistible grace that he loves you beyond anything else, there is nothing else that you can do but just say, take me. I surrender. Amen. I surrender because I understand your love. I, re, I remember where I was at. I know what I've been saved from. And, and I want to reflect that promise that you've given me and restore that position. And so I want to live for you, Jesus Christ. And at the moment that that happens, when God's grace shows up, you have no option but just to surrender. And you see, so we know that baptism doesn't save you. Baptism can't get you to heaven. You know, you can get to heaven without baptism. And, and another thing I know is that you can't baptize yourself for somebody else, whether they're alive or dead. Okay. Now, now, how, what does that mean? How does that work? Well, you know, I did some, like I said, some reflections, some study, and one of my favorite uh, authors um, and, and theologians of our, our modern days, John MacArthur, he 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 has this book. He has a, a commentary, and he said this: the Greek "uper" is the word for "on behalf of." Okay can be translated into all kinds of different meanings and shades of meaning. And it has all kinds of meanings. And in some of your Bibles, your translations, specifically in the King James and others, it says, um, otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized for the dead? Or the other word that can be used is above, about, across, beyond, on behalf of, instead of, because of, and so on and so forth. There are so many different meanings. So you have to try to get the meaning of what is Paul trying to say here. Because I know he's not trying to get people saved that are in, well, that have died. Because the Bible tells us in, in uh, Hebrews that man is destined to die once. That's it. And be judged. So we know we're not talking about that. So when you start taking the different meanings of the word uper, and you look at it, and you put it in the context of what Paul's talking about, the closest that I can come to, and, and what he says as well, is thinking and understanding that some people are being baptized because of their testimony. 
the people that have gone on before us, the people that were showing this example of a godly life, and they died. And Paul is saying something similar to this. Okay, otherwise, what do you mean by being baptized because of their testimony? Okay, if the dead are not raised, then they died for, for nothing. <laughs> Why should I continue living? Because this is what he's trying to get across. Now, I don't know if that's the actual correct translation or, or excuse me, understanding of that, because nobody really agrees on that. Everybody has their ideas, and they're very dogmatic about it. But I want to say to you this, that your testimony is going to matter in somebody else's life. I remember when I was just a young man, many, many years ago, and uh, we, we lived next to this, this wonderful, godly woman, and, and she was just always just just jazzed about church and I would come uh, she would come home and I'd wake up like at noon you know from my hangover the night before and and I would walk outside watering the grass and she'd be coming in singing and smiling I go how was church and she would say bien hermoso in other words in English and it was just awesome oh, okay get away from me every Sunday I saw her how was church bien hermoso man it can't always be that good you know, it can't be always that good. Really, and every time I saw, Mijo, you got to come to church. Mijo, you got to come to church. You know, I want you to know something. That woman prayed us into the ministry, prayed, prayed us into the kingdom. That woman's life, her reflection, and I found out this much later. When she became a Christian, she didn't know how to read. She learned how to read by reading the Bible. Amen. And she believed every Amen. word that she read, and she lived in Amen. such a manner. And she prayed us into the kingdom. She prayed us into the ministry. And she knew this before I even knew it. She, well, anyways, there's a longer story than that. But the testimony of those that have gone on before us has had an impact on some of you, hasn't it? You, you know, as a matter of fact, I, I think we can take it another step further. Paul's saying, if, if there's no resurrection, then, then why even be concerned about those that have died before us? We're not going to see them in heaven. I know that one of the things that causes people to come to know Christ is when I tell them at a funeral, it says, you know what? Your mom's in heaven. Your grandma's in heaven. And if you want to see her again, you need to commit your life to Christ. And you know what happens? They commit their life to Christ. Many of them change. Many of them are transformed by God's amazing grace. Because they know that they want to see their mom and dad again. They want to see their loved ones again. See, and when you start to take this apart a little bit, it makes a little bit more sense. And so what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says this in your outlines, Be imitators of me as I am in Christ. The NIV says it this way, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. How many of you guys are willing to say that prayer? Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Can you confidently leave this place today? Those of you that are sitting at home right now, can you confidently say to the people around you, follow my example because I follow the example of Christ? I know I remember telling one of my, our friends that uh, he's, he's now gone on to heaven. Yeah, he's, and he was a powerful brother, good friend of mine. And, and I, I, he used to tell me, no, no, don't follow my example. Don't follow, why not, brother? Because, and my wife says, well, you know, you're saying don't follow your example. But Paul says that we should follow your example because you should be following Christ's example. Changed his life. Changed his life, folks. That ought to scare you. Because guess what? There are people around you that are following your example. They're following your example. What kind of example are you? What kind of messenger are you? You are the message, and you're giving a message. And in order to have a good message, I need to remember my life without God. I need to reflect on the promises of God. I need to restore my position in God. I need to resemble the life of Jesus Christ. And number four, number five, I need to reevaluate re my commitment to Christ. I need to reevaluate it. Okay, you know, I say I'm a Christian. I believe. I, I, I've learned. I've, I've brought, I brought, you know, I'm learning. And so I need to start reevaluating. Because Paul says, why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. In other words, what, what's it all for? Why am I doing what I do? Why are some of you sitting at home right now listening to a message, whether this one or somebody else's message? Why are you even taking the time? Why are you even investing your time in God's word and coming here and your investment in the, the ministry, the monies that you give, the time that you give? Why even do it? Why are missionaries being killed every day? Why are people even facing ridicule if Jesus Christ didn't resurrect? Why even do it? See, this is a powerful principle that we need to understand. There are things that should propel us to go forward and just pronounce the word of God. It should, especially in today's age. 
right now, folks. I'm going to tell you something, beloved. Jesus Christ is coming, and I really sense that we are getting a taste, just a taste of what it could be like. You don't want to be here for that time. You don't. When Paul tells the people in Philippi, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. People, these, these apostles, these missionaries, this is nothing to them. And we're so distraught because I can't go to the show. I can't go out to a restaurant. I got to wait in line. We're so distraught because we, all the toilet paper's gone. We're so distraught because we can't find hand sanitizer or whatever the case may be. Folks, I, I don't want to belittle our time that we're in right now. I really don't. I, I am serious, as I've said before, of the social distancing. I am serious about the infection that a lot of people have gotten. I am serious about an understanding and praying for those that are affected by this. But, but folks, you haven't seen anything yet. We haven't seen anything yet. We, I, we need to reevaluate our life. And the last thing I'm going to ask you to do in order to be a good witness and a good messenger is I need to renew my commitment to Jesus. Renew your commitment to Jesus. Do it right now. Renew your commitment to Jesus Christ. And you can start by, well, plugging into a church. It's, it's so difficult now to plug into a church. The only way that anybody can plug into a church is really just online. But this too will pass. This too will pass. And once it's done, I don't know if my feed will ever go out again or if anybody will ever watch it and see it. I, I don't know if, you know, what, what anything else is, is going on. You know, I, I felt very special today because I, I kissed my wife goodbye this morning. So I said, I'll see you later. And she says, okay, I'll see you on TV. I go, oh, wow, I became a televangelist. Just like that. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to continue on, you know, or how long it's going to continue on, but... But folks, you got to get plugged into a church, wherever you are. Our church is a good church, you know, but that's, that's what I say. But you need to get plugged in and renew your commitment to Christ. Now, you're right, church isn't going to save you. You're right, don't have to be in church, but you need to be. You should be. That's where you're going to get some good teaching, some fellowship. And I miss it. I miss you. I miss you and I miss the fellowship. The one thing I don't want you to do is hang around with bad people. Because that's what Paul says. Do not be deceived. Isn't that interesting? He uses the same words Jesus Christ just did. Don't let anybody deceive you. Don't think that you can be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. The word company is omaletica or omaletia. And omaletia is a word where we get the word homiletics. Homiletics is the art of speaking or preaching a sermon or discourse. But it also means a group of people that when you gather together, you gather together to have this discourse. Good, bad, excuse me, bad teaching, bad speaking, bad words is going to ruin your, your good morals. The people that you hang around with and listen to, you, they, they may not be doing anything wrong, but the things that they're doing, whether it's negative, whether it's uh, hurtful, whether it's whatever it is, racist, antagonistic, whatever it could be, it's going to damage your character. So Paul says, wake up from your drunken, drunken stupor as is right, and do not go on sinning. Renew your commitment to Jesus Christ. That's the one thing that we can do right now, is renew your commitment to Christ. Some of you have already said a sinner's prayer, maybe have not sensed any change, or maybe you've fallen back. You're in a disobedient state. Jesus Christ desires for you to renew your commitment to him. Because when he returns, he's taking his with him. Not everybody. Not everybody. In Romans 13, 11, Paul says, Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. I said this last week, I think I'm going to like old age because it's not going to last that long. You know, but it's closer to me now. Yeah. It's nearer to me now. Salvation is closer to us right now. And I'm not taking, talking about our salvation that Jesus Christ has given us from uh, the death to life, but our salvation from here to glorification. That's the salvation that Paul is talking about. It's closer to us now than ever before. And ask you to stand. I don't know where you stand, if any of these ever even resonated with you. But think back about what Jesus Christ has done in your life.
Think back of how he saved you or what he saved you from. Think back of what, where you were and where you are now. And, and I pray that you can see a progression, a, a, a set of spiritual markers along the way when certain things just, just profoundly stand out and recognize that God was moving in every one of those. And, and, and so I'd like for you to reflect on the promise that God gave you that he's coming back again. That he is the first fruits and there's going to be another resurrection. And you will be resurrected at that time for those that have died in Christ. And I pray that you can just focus on that to restore your position in God. Because once you've restored your position and you understand where you stand and you hold on to what he has, what he has given you, that when that time comes, you will be ready. Live the life of Jesus. Follow my example, Paul says, as I follow the example of Christ. Reevaluate your commitment right now and give yourself to Christ. Renew it. Make that commitment to go from this day forward to make these changes in your life. And there's nothing else in this world, God, that you want us to do. Of course you don't want us to worry. And I know that you don't want us to have anxieties. I understand that. I think we all do. And, and I thank you, God, that you have led this group of people to, to know that you are still in control of all things. And though the things around the world may worry us, around our nation, around our state and our city, those things that are worrying us right now, yes, we are concerned, but we are going to stand firm, and we're not going to let anything move us, and we're going to give ourselves fully to your work. Because we know that everything we do is not in vain. And so I pray, Father, that today's message resonates in the hearts of your people, that if nothing else, we renew our commitment right now. And wherever everyone's at right now, that they renew that commitment. They renew their commitment to connect with you on a regular basis through your word, through a message, through a podcast, whatever the case may be, that they read your word on a regular basis. And Father, I pray that you lead all of us in that direction. Thank you for those that are here. Thank you for providing for us. And thank you, God, for just loving us in spite of ourselves. And you're moving us forward. And I just thank you for that, I pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen. amen. And amen. We're going to collect the offering now, as I mentioned. <laughs>